0: Well, I, here's what I, what I think I learned a long time ago is if you're not Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or that type, you have to be funny or scary. So uh, here I am being an, a physical oddity to look at. So I have to be funny or scary. I've made a, a 30 year career out of being both of those things.
1: Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co host, Trevor Algott.
2: And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 193, the first part of Trevor's chat with monster actor, pun absolutely intended, Doug Jones, who some of you may or may not recognize from major feature films such as the Hellboy series adaptation pan's labyrinth and the tv series falling skies among many many others in part one today doug shares about how he learned early on to capitalize on his physical specificity and how mime over matter that's right i said mime and his experience playing his school's mascot were unbeknownst to him at the time the perfect training vehicle for what was to come it's all coming up in episode 193 so stick around
1: This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, there's an app for that, and it's called Rehearsal 2. You can download it right now at rehearsaltheapp.com download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com download.
2: Hey, Trevor.
1: Hey, man. What's going hey, on?
2: We're, we made it. We made it work. Everything's we, gonna be. Everything's gonna be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was a little bit of a trial this morning. Um, for listeners who may not know, uh, we're using new software to record these Skype calls, and um, it's called a Voila, and it's a great piece of software. It's not really the software that's the issue; it's the multitude of volume inputs and outputs that we have to get just right to make sure that i don't sound like i'm screaming at you and I doesn't sound like he's in another room or vice versa so we finally figured it out after about what 45 minutes
2: and uh what's funny is i didn't mention this before so uh in addition to the leaf blowers that we should probably <laughs> at least mention yeah um I was gonna tell you. I I, I didn't tell you before because we were dealing with bigger fish. But the, um, it's kind of hard to describe. The switch that controls the like fan and light in our apartment, like the switch stopped working, but the actual fan didn't stop working. So (laughs) last night we turned it on, and now it's just on. Like it's just we can't turn it off.
1: It's stuck on.
2: (laughs) It's just stuck on. It's just on. So I am cool and well lit right now.
1: All right. (laughs) Woohoo! Fun times. Well, you know, when stuff like this happens, it's like, you just gotta live your life. You just gotta do what you were gonna do and deal with the the background crap. I
2: definitely went to sleep with all the lights on last night. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Because that's what we had to do.
1: All right, I'm gonna get you a sleep mask as a late birthday present.
2: I can't do it. Jasmine uses them, and I just can't. I tried, and it just feels like there's a bra on my face or something. I can't. (laughs) I just can't do it.
1: You know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually in the same way. I can't do sleep masks, but what I can do is just drape a T-shirt over my head. Oh, and interesting. Like that, that kind of works because it's not so, like, sort of tightly on my face.
2: Yes. There's
1: jokes no galore here.
2: tightness on my face. <laughs>
1: anyway
2: anyway what's going on in your world my friend
1: uh not as much anything
2: in the outline
1: no not as much as is going on in your world because last episode last episode you were like oh i can't talk about it but let me just tell you that epic things are happening and now you have really good news so tell us about this
2: so nbc has been doing these these Live musicals. They did right. Sound of Music and they did uh, Peter Pan. Yep. So Fox wants to get in on the action. So they bought the rights to Grease, and I had an audition for to play Danny Zuko, which is hilarious because that was like the first musical I ever did in junior high when I was like seventh grade. I played Danny Zuko in my middle school. Um, so a little bit of a trip down memory lane and. It was just weird having the song memorized. As soon as I got the sides, uh, anyway. But so that audition happened. It went really well. It was just me, the accompanist, and the casting director in a room with a camera. They put me on tape. I'm like, wow, I'm getting put on tape for a musical audition. This is odd. You know, there's a difference between a musical theater audition and an on-camera audition. So to do a musical theater audition on camera was was an interesting. Exercise in not letting myself become completely mind fucked by the whole mm. <laughs> by the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. And then the other thing, the actual thing that I think you're talking about, the exciting news is that I did end up booking the uh, New York Music Festival or Nymph N Y M F show that I auditioned for that I was talking about in the last episode as well. Yeah. So um, I got an offer, and and the thing that I wanted to talk about there is that even though I did, in fact, get an offer, there are, I I feel like, a lot of questions that actors get to ask, and I just want to make sure that our listeners are empowered to ask such questions. For instance, I really wanted to know if, A, this show would get me health weeks with equity.
1: Health weeks? Like, yeah. So, like, the, so the, to count towards your uh, your health insurance.
2: Yes, exactly. So, with with, the, with the equity, if you work twelve weeks, you get six months of health insurance. If you work twenty weeks, you get a year. And so Heather's got me a year, which of course runs out in whatever August, September, something like that. So you know, health insurance is a, is a concern. So I wanted to know that, and I also wanted to know if there was a more and i always pronounce this wrong remunerative clause mm. did i say that word correctly sure. remunerative
1: i don't <laughs> which, know
2: <laughs> which basically means that if a if a higher paying or, or gig comes along can i get out of the 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 contract because you know if i audition for some television gig or something like that i need uh-huh. i want to be able to know that i can miss a rehearsal or miss a show or what have you and it's interesting the nymph code so so the New York Music Festival producers actually uh, negotiated their own code with equity they have their own specific code so get paid an X amount of dollars for, as, for, as a stipend for X amount of rehearsals and uh, since it's a code and not a contract it does not count towards uh, health insurance weeks but it does have a more Remunerative, min- 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 <laughs> that word, <laughs> that word. Clause in it. <laughs> so uh, should should a higher paying gig come along, I can I can I, I can go do that. And I just think you know they're they're really important questions to ask. The main reason being that there's a they are rehearsing a lot. There's a lot of rehearsal, and you know I have a job. I have a I have a, I maintain a day job to you know pay things like rent and. <laughs> you know, bills and whatnot. And it's important. It's something to take into consideration. Um, I would never say that any actor or anyone listening to this should make that their main reason, whether or not they choose to do a show. But it is important. With the whole uh, 99 seat theater debate going on, like the idea of how much we get paid as actors is, you know, it's been, it's been, a a topic of conversation lately. yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's, I, I do think it's, it's important to at least know, you know, what, what, what is in the contract, what, what you're actually signing up for, so to speak. So right. that was, in addition to like sharing the big news that I, that I booked it, it was, it was just as, if not more important to me that we talked about that.
1: So what what is the New York Music Festival like? What is your role in this? So you is it a show or is it a showcase or is it what is it?
2: So the New York Music Festival is a a music festival. It's it's like the it's like the Fringe or like the the, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or you know any any one of these you know music or or, or theater or film festivals that happens anywhere uh, except this one is focused on music specifically now. I guess at some point – I don't know the whole history of the festival. I, I suppose I'll learn or, or maybe I'll do my own research and find out. At, at some point, they started presenting musicals. I don't know if you know some m- people who were writing musicals decided that they wanted to be a part of it and, and, and asked or if uh, <clears throat> the New York Music Festival invited musicals to be a part of it or, or what. But they're usually around – someone said like five or six – Um, But I think there might be more because when I went to see one last year in the program, there were a ton of things going on, like a ton of musicals and and whatnot. Um, But someone said that there were like five main stage musicals. I don't know. I got to figure out what the history of it is. But there are musical theater performances as part of the New York Music Festival. And every summer, a lot of the people who do musical theater in, in the city end up auditioning for these shows and 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 being in them uh, throughout the summer and so they're they're sort of workshop productions of the musicals we're going to be doing five performances with a possible extension of like two more and they're kind of because it's a festival they're kind of all over the place they happen at night during the day on the weekends matinees early performance i think we have a like a noon performance on monday so they're kind of all over the place some that are in the evening they're usually very bare bones, you know, because it's whatever the the production can afford for that particular for that particular show. Um, and this one's this one's really fun. It's uh, I will I will share more details as as we get closer.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. I've talked wow. quite enough. But. <laughs> I was like I was like, so what is it? What is it? Tell us what it is. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you're still you're all st- right. Oh, can you tell me what it is? What the project? I can. Is? Yeah. I can, okay. I
2: can say. I just you know it's uh, it's. Um, I've just been talking a lot, that's all um, it's called Manuel versus the Statue of Liberty and it is about it is actually based on a true story about this kid who was r- really smart and very into the classics and ended up going to Princeton and then was offered uh, a fellowship at Oxford in England and then realized he couldn't go because if he left the country, he would not be allowed back in. Because wow. of the way that the immigration laws work in this country, his, I guess his mother didn't have her green card, and so therefore he wasn't considered a citizen. And so he, if he left the country, he would not have been allowed back in. So I don't really know what happened to the guy, but the, that's what the musical is about. So it's called Manuel versus the Statue of Liberty, Manuel being the kid, the Statue of Liberty representing the United States. And they literally have a boxing match, and, oh, uh, wow. thr- throughout the boxing, so it's a comedy okay. and throughout the, throughout the boxing match, um, there are little scenes that break out of his life and his, the people that he were surrounding him, the people that supported him, the people that didn't support him. And so the, the only people who play the same character the entire time are Manuel and the Statue of Liberty. Everybody else in the ensemble plays like 10 different characters so it's totally right up my alley. I'm yeah. playing. I'm playing like a, a Saudi prince, um, like a, a, a New York a, a deli owner, East Indian doctor. I mean, it's crazy. It's all a, a referee. I'm like the ref for the boxing match. It's it's fun. Yeah. It's it's really fun, and, it, awesome. and it's and it's funny, and and I'm I'm excited about it. I have not heard the music. I read the entire script, but I have not heard the music. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what that's like, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And now it's just a matter of, like I said, figuring out, you know, the, I don't know, stipulations, if you will, of sure. the actual agreement, the, the contract, and then also figuring out how to make it work with my, my work schedule so that I don't starve and I can still pay the rent.
1: Right. And when does it, uh, when does it open?
2: Uh, it runs like the last week of July.
1: Okay. Okay, something cool. Something like
2: that. With uh, right. about four weeks of rehearsal starting at the end of June.
1: And is this going to conflict with your UCLA gig, or that, that doesn't start to like the fall? that yeah right
2: that's in the fall okay that's in cool. the fall because
1: that's when school yeah. starts
2: okay. that's when school starts yes off to school all Trevor's right
1: kick-ass <clears> dude <throat> <throat> yeah. well congratulations uh Thank not, you. i'm not surprised to hear you're you're involved in another musical where you're playing a lot of different roles and a lot of different characters i mean that's like you said that's your wheelhouse man you're really good at multitasking as an actor <laughs> and I that's I, that's
2: a good way to put it. <clears throat> multitasking. Yeah, that.
1: multitasking. And so it's really cool to hear that. I can't wait to hear how that uh, how that unfolds. Alright, well we've got a question we're excited to respond to on this show, but before we get to that question, we have a huge shout out to one of our sponsors.
2: Oh yes. Oh yes, and who else but VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for best VO training. Four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start.
1: We have a listener question from Kay. We kind of alluded to this in the last episode, and um, we may have responded to this question before. I I don't recall. I mean, I know I responded via email. I don't know if we've aired this one on the podcast, but Um, Yeah, I don't
2: know. For some reason, I recognized it. Uh, But hey, you know, more the merrier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, if we did, then yeah, here we go again. Uh, (laughs) It's a good one. It's a good one. So Kay writes in and she says uh, that she's coming up on the one year anniversary of her big move to L.A. And she's been with one acting teacher almost from the beginning. But she's feeling that deep down... Um, she's been feeling this way for a while. That deep down, that this teacher initially helped her make some big strides uh, in how she approaches the work and things like that. But she's kind of been at a plateau lately, a plateau. Uh, and for the past five months or so, she's kind of felt sort of stagnant. And uh, she actually says here that class has basically become a gym where she works the same two or three acting muscles, but is not rooted in preparing. Uh, this, this class is not rooted in preparing her for her the career cardio she needs, such as cold reading techniques, audition skills, or much actual practice of the, in theory, character development lessons slash lectures uh, that are taught. So she's really just kind of working one sort of facet of her creative self and is eager to, to jump into more. So she continues that she's found a new teacher that she wants to switch to, but this current teacher is one that she still has a lot of admiration and respect for and she's thought long and hard about, uh, you know, about whether she's given this teacher a fair chance to sort of continue to grow with her and she feels she has five months worth um, and she also feels kind of guilty because she has a great personal connection with this teacher mm. and um, when she was in a financial bind at one point this teacher was more than generous to allow her to work in the office in exchange for credit towards class for a few months So they've got a connection and a history there. But she's realized recently that all the free classes in the world aren't going to help her if it's not challenging her the way she knows she needs to be challenged to kind of Mm. get to the next level. So her question is, is there a quote-unquote right way to part ways with an acting teacher who is no longer a match but still very known in the industry and a lovely human being? So tough kind of situation to be in. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to kind of, you know, beat up anybody's ego or anything like that, but you also want to make sure that you're looking out for number one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, I responded via email to her and, uh, you know, I'll talk about that, but I want to give you a chance to kind of weigh in here. AJ, do you have thoughts off the bat?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought your email was so, was so perfect. Um, because you know, one of the I like the main thing that you said that i that I really respect is any acting or any artist or acting teacher worth their salt you know is gonna know that artists sometimes grow out of a particular thing, a, a class or a teacher or whatever. I think that is the the main thing that I clued into in your in your email <clears throat> other than that, I mean, I would just add guilt is so. It's such an easy trap, especially for actors and our relationships with our teachers, our coaches, our representation. That's another huge one. Mm-hmm. And it, it it can't be, <laughs> I guess. It, it, it just can't trap. I, I get that it is a relationship business. And we say that, obviously, we believe in that. We say that a lot on the podcast. I get that. But at the same time, there is there there are actors out there who aren't feeling guilty and taking the next steps as a result. and mm-hmm. they're 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 making bigger strides than you. And I don't mean you necessarily, as in uh, Kay, who who sent in this email. I mean just the royal you. Like if you, the royal you are not taking those steps out of feelings of guilt or whatever story it is that you're making up in your head about the outcome, there are some actors out there who are, mm-hmm. and they and they are the ones who are, uh, you know, may, maybe making the strides that you're not. As a result,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: that's really the only thing that I would add on to your, um, to your response.
1: Okay, and that's um, that's really, it's um, a really good kind of way to look at it. I, I feel like there are sort of two levels to this, and number one is it. In, in any learning. I mean, this is just the way the brain works when you're learning a new skill or you're learning, a, you know, something typically there's a sort of initial burst of progress. And then there's a long stretch of months, sometimes even years where it feels like there is no progress being made whatsoever. And then there's usually another sort of level up <coughs> or like just sort of paired like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A sort of quantum leap, in ability and in, you know, internalizing the information and, and applying it. And then there's another long stretch and then there's another leap and then another long stretch. And that's just kind of the way learning works a lot of the time. Most of the time, in fact, those sort of long stretches followed by those b- little kind of bumps and, and jumps in, in ability. So that's something I think to take into account when it comes to being with somebody for a long time and studying with them. That, that there's gonna be times where it feels like nothing's happening. But trust that there's work being done under the under the hood, you know, things are happening, things are and and that if you stick with it there will be jumps. Uh however, uh it sounds like Kay has really been with this and felt like this and, and a lot of times this is this is, you know, someone we talked about on the show before. A classic problem is is LA and New York are full of professional students full of people who just pour all their money resources time into training and class and things like that and hey that is awesome I mean you and I have poured a lot of time money and energy and things like that into into class but there comes a time when you've got to sort of move on and it has to happen and like you said AJ and like I said to Kay you know any teacher like you said worth their salt is going to understand that we've got to constantly be reinventing ourselves as artists. That if you are to stay in one place for too long, you're just going to start. A, you're going to stagnate. The the kind of core of Kay's question is: How do I do this? How do I talk to this person that has been really good to me, and that I've learned a lot from, and and sort of let them know this is where I'm at. And and my advice was just be completely transparent. I said I even said in the email here I wrote: um, Would it be possible? to tell this acting teacher exactly what you've said in this email just the trepidation the awkwardness the longing the respect everything yeah i mean some vulnerability and transparency goes a long long way that's a great way to instantly create connection hey how you doing i'm scared of this i love (laughs) this i'm really nervous about this this thing makes me angry like we all experience those as humans, and and um, you know if what if our job as actors is to sort of live the human condition in public, so to speak, then why would we not do that in our lives? You know, and I think that even a situation like this, if you just tackle it as openly and rawly, as open heart as possible, it can only even add to you know, the sort of um, soup that you that you draw on for your for your um, creative work. So I also concluded with everybody's different. You know, I'm sure somebody out there has written a great blog post or something about this very thing, Uh, but my approach, and it sounds like yours too, AJ, would just be full ownership and acknowledgement of the situation, the awkwardness, the fear, the love, everything of it, and just say, you know what, this is where I'm at, but this is what I'm feeling, um, and I want to kind of get your two cents on it. And it doesn't sound to me like this is the kind of acting teacher that would say, no, you must stay with me. I can't believe you'd you'd ever think of stuff. I mean, it doesn't sound like that would be the case. Um, Even
2: more of a reason to run screaming in the other
1: direction. So it sounds like this could be a really great opportunity to sort of level up, uh, in your relationships and as a person too, N- not just you, Kay, but anybody. I mean, yeah. I, I, as I'm speaking here as a sort of struggling people pleaser, I, I've got a lot of that going on in my sort of personal life. I, I constantly want to just not rock the boat and, you know, be nice to people and be liked. And I think a lot of us struggle with that as actors. I think that's yeah. sort of, kind of comes with the territory a lot of the time. Um, so yeah. here's a great opportunity to practice The opposite, but in a compassionate, loving, you know, caring way.
2: I just want to add one last little thing, Trev, and it it came from you saying the you know the way that learning works sometimes, where there's a big burst and then a long trail and then a big burst. I think that's true of of artistry, especially because it takes so long to master, and, and even then, there's no such thing. You know, there's no such thing as as mastering um, an art. It's just something that we practice uh, constantly for our entire lives. And on that note, I was going to say that perhaps some time away, there's nothing stopping Kay from coming back. And perhaps some time away, some other life experiences, some other class experiences will actually lend themselves to learning more in this particular one. You know, uh, maybe there's something that is not clicking with her right now because there's a a life experience that's missing or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, I feel like I've plateaued here. It's like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, who knows, live in Romania for three months or something. (laughs) And then you come you come back. And go back to that class and go, wow, like I, I see everything that we've done before. It's the same words, the same maybe three muscles as she puts it in the email, but a completely different take because yeah. of because I'm different.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a fan. I have a, I have about probably 10 books or so in my sort of personal success library that I, I revisit every few years. And I'm always amazed to see how many of those books have been re, completely rewritten. You know, when I when I reread them, I'm like, who wrote, who put this chapter in here about this? You know, but you know, the fact is it this was wasn't, there before. This
2: wasn't here before.
1: Yeah. I just, I wasn't ready to hear it, you know? So, um, mm. there, that's a really good point, AJ, to, to bring that up. I mean, yeah, sometimes life experience is what is required to open us up to the next level and the same material can have a completely different impact. But Kay, it sounds like your instincts are, are shouting at you to take action, uh, in one direction. Um, so I guess the, the, the sort of <clears throat> in summary, be open to what the future could hold, but, uh, be vulnerable in the moment and honest with yourself and with everybody around you and you can't lose. Well, Okay. Thank you so much for the great question. Really, really good one. Um, and really appreciate you listening and, uh, and asking for our take. All right. Anything else before Sweet. we roll into part one with, uh, with Doug here?
2: Well, that's up to you. Is there anything you want to uh, tell us about this?
1: I just wanted to say that I'm still dealing with this freaking cold, man. It's like two and a half weeks now, and there's a lot of me, like, sniffling and coughing in this interview, and I just want to kind of apologize up front, uh, because it's a little distracting. Like, I was trying really hard to, like, time my, like, snot stuff, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in in a way that wasn't distracting, and, of course, it ended up being, like, during... uh, crucial stuff. So that's going to be all throughout the next segments of the interview. So I apologize for that, but uh, hopefully it doesn't distract you too much from the great the great great chat that, that Doug and I had. He is such a fun guy, such a generous guy and a guy who really is a champion for actors as you'll hear. Um, so what an honor to sit down with this guy. Love it. Yeah. All right guys, so enjoy part 1 with the incomparable Doug Jones and we'll catch you on the other side. This is Trev, and I'm really, really excited to be sitting here across from one of the most interesting actors I think I've I've ever seen, Um, Doug Jones, who is probably best known for his work in Hellboy and uh, Pan's Labyrinth, a lot of work with Guillermo del Toro, and also in Falling Skies, a TV show Falling Skies, which I believe you're a lead on. You're, I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of the regulars. Yeah. So um, lots and lots of work. If anybody listening to this wants to just check, pull up his IMDB while you're, while you're listening to this, you may get to the end of it by the end of the interview. You may not. It's, it's quite, he's got quite a career and uh, you're also a contortionist and oh, a right. very physical actor and yeah. just a lot of really interesting work and roles that you've done. So I'm super stoked to, to have you on the show. Thanks well, for taking the time. I'm
0: stoked to be here and thank you for, yeah, that's quite an introduction to probably the most interesting actor I've ever seen, said, <laughs> which means I look weird, people. You can't see that. But uh, yeah, but again, pull up those pictures on the Webernet while we're talking. The Webernet. Well, that's what the kids are calling it, right? The Webernet? The sure. Wo- no, I'm sorry. The worldwide Webernet, because it's, it's in other
1: countries now. <laughs> that's right. That's right, right here. <laughs> so I and I I just read a few little interviews and things with you mm-hmm. uh, in the past, and, and it, it seems like you really capitalize on, on your physicality in your roles. I mean, obviously you do with ha- your, in your work that I I've ha- seen. But. Yes,
0: I have no choice. Um, when, when you come out of the womb and you grow into a six foot, three and a half, 140 pound monster of a man, <laughs> um, <laughs> you have no choice. But yeah, well, uh, here's what I, what I think I learned a long time ago is if you're not Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or that type, you have to be funny or scary. So uh, here I am being an, a physical oddity to look at. So I have to be funny or scary. I've made a, a thirty-year career out of being both of those things. You know, sometimes at wow. the same time on the same role. It depends. Wow, has yeah. that ever felt inauthentic to you? Have no. you ever thought, you know, what I'm not the funny or scary guy right now. I'm me. Oh no, no. I I, I think uh, pe- people who who aren't super pretty uh, do uh, tend to fall into the funny scary. Um, uh, w- with naturally, I naturally. Well, first of all, I had to develop a sense of humor when I was a kid because uh, just for survival tactic. Um, when you're growing up in the Midwest and you're not in that small that small window of what what's considered normal or hot or cool or whatever, you're you're just you're you're ripe for making fun of. So, uh, so I hear. I was, I was this tall, gangly kid that was not extremely athletic, and and of course, I, you know, kids are cruel, and so I, I uh, and I thought, of course, I'm the only one who feels this way. So you, you can, you have a choice. You can either become this in, inward child who sits in the corner and rocks back and forth and hits his head on the wall, or you can develop a sense of humor and go meet the public. Uh, on your own terms so that 's what I chose I thought if i 'm going to walk into the room and people are going to snicker because i don 't look right or i 'm walking funny or I, or, or when I, when I reach for something it 's not like what they what it's, it doesn 't look right to them somehow. Uh, I would rather control the laughter and do something ridiculously funny that, that now I know why they 're laughing at me, so wow. instead of laughing at me they 're laughing because. I said so, you know? Wow. So that's what I mean by taking control of the situation. So so I developed a a physical sense of humor, and I, I, I used my tall lankiness to my advantage. Yes, I can put my legs behind my head. Even to this day, I'm almost 55 years old, and I can still... Get my legs around my neck, Uh, so you know. So physical tomfoolery became part of the package for me, just like you know, walk a walk, armpit fart, woohoo, you know, (laughs) anything that that would get a chuckle, and and then then I knew why they were laughing instead of just because I sat down. You know what I mean? Wow. So have you always? been drawn to this work or wanted to be an actor or is that something sort of okay yes because during those those lonely childhood times when you're like i don't fit in i'm not normal you go home and you turn on your tv and you've got reruns of i love lucy the dick van dyke show uh you're watching barney fife uh played by don Knotts, on Uh uh, the mayberry rfd show uh, and you've got uh, Gomer Pyle played by um, the gym neighbors. And you've got uh, Bob Denver playing Gilligan. There was a lot of, mm. there were a ton of goofy, awkward looking people on TV, on my TV that were making me laugh and singing and dancing and making merriment. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at the TV going, I think, I, I think I belong there, right? Wow. <laughs> I, these people are becoming my best friends because I watch them every day after school. So I want to be uh, in that TV box with my best friends. I think that's how it's supposed to work, right? Right, right. right. So I think that's why I was drawn to acting in the first place. Wow, yeah,
1: you were raised on a steady diet
0: of character actors there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Danny Kaye, mm-hmm. Jerry Lewis, anything they did. Oh my gosh, yes.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm. I there's so many places I I want to go with. <laughs> I want to ask you so many things. But I, I also I almost want to rewind just a bit because we usually like to kind of start at the beginning. Because I know you yeah. weren't born in L.A. In fact, you were born in I think the Midwest yeah. in Indiana. Yeah. Uh-huh. Grew- so Indianapolis, Indiana
0: is where I come so from. So
1: pretty far removed from the entertainment oh, sure. industry. So let's talk a little bit about you know when you got kind of bit by the bug, so to speak. You know when right. you kind of realized you know this is it. This is my life. And and then that your journey from. Midwest, sort of removed from LA, Hollywood world, all the way into having a, a 30, almost a 30 year career now. Yeah, or a 30, yeah. let's see, 80, 84, 85 is when you really started.
0: Right, I moved, m- so. moved to Los Angeles in '85, and then uh, and uh, got my
1: first paid gig as an actor in '86. Okay, so, so yeah, we're, we're going coming on, on thirty thirty years. years. Yeah, yeah. So so where years. did it all start? I mean, what, what was it like growing up? You you were you saw your best friends on the TV, and, <laughs> right. and then what was right. the next step? Well, when I, when I became the class
0: clown, and uh, and then kids would start saying, <laughs> "Oh, you're so, you're gonna be an actor one day. I just know it. You know, or whatever. <laughs> so you're going you're funny." That that just fed the fire, you know. I I think um, you know uh, a lot of people uh, have have dreams to be uh, an actor or to be a performer at some point. But I think it's uh, if you hear it from other people that are saying this is what I think you're good at because you're entertaining me every day, um, then that that's what I listened to. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm having an effect on people around me. Therefore, maybe maybe there's there's maybe there's there's a gift or or there's some magic to it. I don't know. So I, I pursued that. And uh, so anytime uh, my grade school, high school, whatever school I was at would have anything that was on stage. If it was a pep rally, if it was a silly skit to make an announcement, if it was uh, a school play or the school musical or whatever, I, I was auditioning for it. I was in it. So um, so I did everything that I possibly could to get on my, myself on stage and... And, um, then that would be any advice I would give to any young actor coming up is do anything you can do uh, mm-hmm. to get in front of people. Because I think nerves, jitters and self-awareness, too much self-awareness and, uh, is, is the death of any performer. So, so you get, work all that out. Yeah. I mean, all all the only way
1: out is through really when it
0: comes to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So getting in high school, I was kind of like, and I went to a small Catholic high school, about 800 kids. So, so the drama department, they called it, not even the theater department. It was the drama department. Mm-hmm. Uh, so us drama kids, uh, we would do the, uh, the, you know, whatever plays. And, and, and uh, so I kind of became, by my senior year, I was the go-to theater kid. You know, I, I was the one that like, oh, Doug will be in this because he's in everything right right. Uh, but so you know so I big fish small pond and then I I went to Ball State University after that Uh, now I had very wise Midwestern parents um who would not? Who, when I said I wanted to major in theater, they're like, "Oh no, sweet pea, no, you're not." You know, <laughs> uh, pe- people don't get jobs in that. So, uh, with their midwestern sensibilities, and, and any any parent probably should try to protect their kids from a horrible career in the theater. But um, so I uh, so I picked a major that they would that they would sign off on, which was radio and TV broadcasting. Which they uh, they uh, they changed the name of that major to telecommunications while I was at school. But so that, 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 would, that would do because that, that also incorporated, you know, some PR classes and some you know, writing and some on camera behind producing directing. So I, I got like a, I, I could work at a local TV or radio station when I was done. Okay, well, there's mm. jobs there. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I minored in theater so I could just keep my toe stuck in it and be like, I'm still acting. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so, uh, so when I was at Ball State, uh, a, a tragic thing happened at the end of my, of my freshman year right before finals week it was the week before finals week of my of my freshman spring and my father passed away from a massive heart attack oh, so no. all of a sudden I am now fatherless uh youngest of four boys I have three older brothers and so uh, so my brothers kind of picked up the slack and and uh and um uh, and, and all offered to be a, a dad-like figure to me so to this day we're like my my three brothers and I are we're like best friends uh you know so i think i think life just living life and and going through tragedy and and triumph all of it and everything in between uh help, helps if if we take it if we take note of it if we sponge it in and feel the feeling the things we're supposed to feel in life it makes us better rounded actors in the end i think because we have to play all that stuff one day so yeah. let's Amen. take let's take it in let's feel it you know yeah what Also happened my freshman year was uh, meeting Reed K. Steele. And you're asking, who's this Reed K. Steele fellow? Well, I'll tell you, Trev. Um, (laughs) Reed was a senior when I was a freshman and he lived in my dorm and uh, uh, he would, in the, in the cafeteria that, that connected all these dorms together, uh, uh, he would watch me at lunchtime every day, just wagging my fingers and hands around while I talk. Cause I'm very physical when I talk, and I'm very animated, and blah, 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 very goofy, all that stuff that, that, that a class clown is and does. And one day, Reed was just observing me. And, he, and we happened to be sitting at a, at a table next to his, some friends and, and I. said he, he asked me, have you ever heard of Mime? And I said, <laughs> n- 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 oh, you mean like, like pantomime. I think I studied it in my, in my drama classes in high school. <laughs> you know, right? And he's like, yeah, I think, I think you'd make a good one. And he said, I, I actually am the leader of a mime troupe here on campus called, get this one now, Trev, mime over matter. Ooh, yes. Ooh, yes. Yes. That's a pun where Trade we Trade market. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a good one. So the troupe it was called Mime Over Matter and, uh, and they were they were a uh, student organization. Uh, they didn't have they didn't have a faculty advisor. Just like a bunch of kids got together and performed and they um actually had quite a reputation on campus from what now. Uh, they were doing a show that very weekend. He said come see our show uh, and tell me what you think and then we we're having auditions the week after. So I went and saw one of their shows and was mesmerized. Here was this, uh, like a two hour show with, uh, with one sketch after another one skit, after, skit sketch, whatever you want to call them. And I did everything from laughing, like guffaw laughing to weepy crying. Uh, uh, they made me feel so much without one word spoken. I thought, okay, this is an art form that I must investigate. And, uh, you know, here's this troupe of people, maybe 10 performers on stage and, in the taking turns and doing solo pieces, group pieces, duets, uh, telling different stories. And, and I saw props that weren't there. I saw sets and worlds that weren't there. I saw nighttime, daytime, and it was all in front of a black curtain, right? So they they, they met, they made my imagination just come to life without saying one word. So that's when I realized, um, I auditioned for the Mime Troupe and I got in with, with no, with no trouble, thank heaven. Uh, so I became a four-year member of of mime over matter at Ball State, and by my senior year, I was the guy telling young kids, you know, you'd be a good mime, kid. Uh, so uh, <laughs> see, you just look for like the people gesticulating wildly in exactly. the cafeteria. <laughs> right? You, yeah, 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 <laughs> and building walls that aren't there, and getting stuck <laughs> in boxes, and walking against the wind. It's like, yeah, you're a natch. You're right? <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, a I've never heard that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> just, natch. Sure. Yeah. Well you're Trev, you're a natch at this at this talk show thing. You're a natch. Uh, it's totally. a lot easier than saying natural. right. right. Just save two you know, we, syllables. We abbreviate everything now. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no. All right. So the mime troops. I, so I I the four four years as as a member of Mime over Matter. And then by my senior year, like I I was my brother Richie came to one of my shows at Ball State and, and he said. Doug, you you get the cat laugh. You're the one that, whenever you come on stage, there's a snicker in the audience because they're expecting something, and and that's a, that's a really good that's a, that's a gift. He 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 was telling me. So, I, again, I I listen to other people, and when other people observe what I'm doing, um, I, I like to hear their assessment of it. You know, uh, uh, yeah. so so I I because I, I can think all day that I either I'm fantastic and I may not be, or I might think I suck and I may not. So were you, were you
1: doing other theater while you were in the in, uh, in in mime over matter?
0: Yes. I I did a just a couple of plays in in the small box black box theater that you know the 99 Theater on campus. Uh, didn't do any humongous shows because the mime troupe took up so much of my time and and okay another, another career starter here uh, at Ball State I was also the mascot Charlie Cardinal. Now when I was a freshman it was a, it was a guy a human being in a sweater that had a B on it for Ball State, and he wore a cardinal head just on his shoulders. It was it was a very it was a rather lame mascot. Uh, but then um, I think by my sophomore year they introduced an entire bird suit, and I saw I went to a basketball game and I saw the Charlie Cardinal guy dancing around, and I thought, oh my gosh, I could do that. You know, you know it, typical actor thing. You're watching someone else's perform and you're like, oh, I could do that better. I should have gotten that. So when I saw you know, that they were holding auditions for Charlie Cardinal, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. So I'm not going to lie, Trev. I did re- rise to a certain place of notoriety on campus. As, I, it's in your Wikipedia article. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> oh, I, I haven't read my Wikipedia. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I, I thought you know, I, I took that opportunity and did something with it and um and i i made and i I learned a, a very valuable lesson that that I've carried on throughout my the rest of my silly career in in monster suits is that you know when you're wearing a big bird suit uh and you have you know thousands of people in an arena to entertain something has to come out of you that's that's beyond standing there and flapping your wings you know you have to do something and be something and feel something and emote something so Charlie Cardinal developed a personality and, um, and a sense of humor at all physical. You had to communicate all of this physically, much like the mime troupe, all physical, right? Um, and, and you learn from these things that communication, uh, we're sitting here talking on a sofa right now. You can't see that listeners, but we are. And, uh, and we're, we're basically using a lot of words, but, uh, what come with those words is physical gesturing facial expressions, body language, body positioning, posture, all that stuff, all of that communicates something. You can say the same line of dialogue three different times with a different visual, and it will mean three different things, right? So I, I learned all that by being a mime and by being a mascot, by, by wearing a big bird suit and having to make something come out of it without one word spoken ever.
1: So, uh, wow. so that,
0: that was valuable time for me in college.
1: Wow. I was getting, I was going to ask how that played into your 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 future work but it seems pretty obvious i mean you really yeah. learned the importance of physicality without knowing what was what was coming or what wow. i was being prepared
0: for yeah wow. but I, that's why i say there is a god because yeah <laughs> i couldn't have seen this <laughs> ahead of time oh my gosh no. wow
1: okay so you finished up at ball state yes and then and then what what, well, what prompted the move to la and, and not new york or did you go to new york i
0: never or, went to new york so uh, it was straight
1: to la or what well, happened next? from
0: indianapolis my first stop was cincinnati ohio and you're thinking, what's in Cincinnati? Well, I'll tell you. A theme park called King's Island. So uh, as a mime, I was able to get hired at King's Island and, and do the walk around entertaining. So I was at, at King's Island for the summer of 1982 after I graduated from, from college. I My first job was... I had auditioned for Kings Island. I got into the entertainment department there as a you know, I thought it was a big break, right? And then I, I find myself for an entire summer walking around a park in the blazing hot sun, humid as could be, and scaring children basically. <laughs> because you know, a lot of younger kids don't understand the guy with the white face paint that I mean, kids are terrified of clowns, some are. Uh and 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 they don't know the difference between a clown and a mime. At that age, Mm -hmm. they don't know that it's a different art form and I'm not going to juggle or I didn't make balloon animals. I didn't juggle. I didn't have a horn that went, I didn't do any of that. I was a mime. I was quiet. So something about that quiet guy who's not speaking, (laughs) he's got black lines drawn around his eyes and he's coming at you. To, do, to pick a, you know, to make it look like there's a butterfly coming out of your ear or whatever mimes do. Uh, uh, some kids were just plain sheer terrified, right? So I would get this like frozen, weepy, uh, and then parents <laughs> protecting their kids from the horrible mime guy. <laughs> so after three months of scaring kids, I, I my self-esteem was in the turlet. So, but I, you know, you learn a lot about about working a crowd, and, and oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, right. So, I would often, in order to gra- gather a crowd and make make a little uh, event, I would, in the middle of International Street, where the big fountains were, and we had a, a scaled down Eiffel Tower there at that park. I uh, I would often freeze for a while in a robotic position or statue position. And uh, that might gather a little bit of a crowd. They're like, what's that guy doing? He's not moving. He he looks just like a mannequin. So that was, then I would start doing robotic movement. (laughs) I would come to life and start moving around. And that was, oh, yeah. So, and And then I might come to life and then start messing with people and then getting a crowd interaction sort of thing going. So, but that's something nobody can teach you. You just have to learn that.
1: Wow. So at this point, did you have any aspirations to... Move into the entertainment industry as a career, or yeah. were you just okay? Oh yeah, sure, sure. I never, never lost that—that that, uh you know, one day
0: I'm going to go out to Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I looked to the west and saw sunsets and thought that's where I need to be, where the
1: sun sets. So how long before you you made that? You pulled Well, put on
0: well uh, after after my summer at Kings Island, I was looking I was looking around the Midwest for job jobs like sales representative jobs I, you know I had a college degree it didn't matter what it was in and so, so you, could, you could get a sales rep job with most any degree you know if, if you interview well and you present well and you look organized those jobs are, are, are gettable so that's what I was uh, was interviewing for, and I ended up uh, landing a job as a, an advertising salesman for a uh, newspaper. And I thought, well, that's sort of in the media, sure, but it was in a small town, North Manchester, Indiana, and the newspaper was the North Manchester News Journal. It came out twice a week, so Mondays and Thursdays we would have like a, like an eight to ten page newspaper. So very very small, very small. The town was only six thousand people. Uh, So that's why, as a recent college grad at age 22, just right before my 23rd birthday is when I got this job, and... And I was, I was the director of advertising, which is a great title for, for a 22-year-old kid to have. Yeah, right? I was going to say. Yeah, That's impressive. Right. Yeah. yeah. But there was no place to go from there. If, unless I bought the paper from the owner, there was no moving up. Mm. <laughs> I was already at the top of the food chain on the advertising department there. Let's see. They, they ran a news article. Of course, it's a newspaper. So, welcome to the staff. Doug Jones who's going to be taking over the advertising department. So, they had, ran my picture on the front page of the paper with, like, an introduction article. And the local librarian... At the at the library, had been a Ball State student while I was there. She calls up the newspaper and says, "Hi, Doug. You don't make yeah. We never met, but I went to Ball State too. Are you still doing mime?" That's what she said. On wow. The phone. I said, "Yeah, well, I, I haven't, but yeah, I could because I I was thinking like, okay, I'm a responsible adult now. I have to wear a tie and carry a briefcase, and I have to have a job and make money. So I thought, like, so I, I kind of left the performing thing, the dream." let i let it go for just a minute there. Well, she's the one who said, "Well, we you know, we have a program for for the kids uh, every at the library like every week on a Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, which is um like story time where somebody comes in and reads from a book. But I thought it might be an interesting twist to have a mime come in and do a little performance for them instead." So I said, "Well, I'd be let me see if I, my boss will let me off." And so my boss at the newspaper was like, "This is great. You do that on your lunch break or whatever and we'll have send a photographer and we'll make a thing out of it like you know so as a news journal employee doing something for the community it was like that was a great time he was was like yes this is great this is great Okay. So again, I made it, I slapped onto the front page, a huge picture of me in full mind makeup, making some kind of goofy face while performing. And they also put a picture of the kids up that were watching. Like right beneath my picture was a picture of some kids with this big, big smiles going, ha! Oh, good. So they, they weren't terrified. Yeah. They oh.
1: weren't screaming in terror. No, when you're you.
0: doing a performance for them, gotcha. when you're not messing with people on the gotcha. street. That's what scares them. Gotcha. When you're a performer and they, it's like, now we're having a show, kids, watch this. They were into it. Gotcha. So these kids were, were, I, it was the best audience ever. And the the photo ops were fantastic. So it slapped on the front page of the paper. It's an, overnight. I become the guy you can call to come entertain for your event, whatever that is. So I started getting calls at the news journal, like, Hey, I, I saw you in the paper and you know, oh, we're from the Kiwanis club. We're from the rotary club. We're from the Optimus club. We're from this church. We're from that girl scout, boy scout troop. We're from this youth group at the ch- thing in the the high school, the grade school. Can you come? So all of a sudden I'm getting invitations to come perform for whatever so i started charging and i was i was cheap trev i was cheap i was a dollar a minute so if they wanted a uh a a 30 minute show that was 30 dollars well what started happening was i mean you know um, uh, uh, one organization might have a chapter in another city that was nearby or another town and so i started getting invitations to you know, the the uh, Warsaw or the Wabash or the Fort Wayne chapter of the Masonic temple that I had uh, in, uh, performed at or whatever. Right. And so I started making the rounds in all of Northern Indiana. And I was kind of became like this guy that you could call that was cheap and you could get after dinner entertainment or, or I would, I could come entertain be a pre thing to a parade going by. I could be an entrant in a parade. I could, you know, I could be at your ribbon cutting ceremony or whatever. So it, it became like this side, I was moonlighting as a mime uh, a lot while at the newspaper and realizing that that was really where my heart was. I, I enjoyed that much more than my newspaper job. Right. Uh, so, so that's what, that's what kept the dream alive and kept me thinking, okay, one day, one day we're going to get, we're going to get to the right place where, where I can make a real business of this. Uh, yeah. So uh, while I was living in North Manchester, uh, we got married to Mrs. Laurie and so, uh, uh, and then, okay. So the two of us are on the, we had been married for, um, less than a year. We're on the phone with her uncle, David. <clears throat> now, uncle David lived in, <clears throat> lived in, uh, Fresno, California and, uh, worked at a bank. He was a branch manager for a bank called security Pacific bank. And, uh, uncle David was saying, so how are you kids doing? What's so uh, how's life back there? And uh, so I'm like, well, you know, Uncle David, be honest with you. Professionally, I think I'm at the top of where I, I, I have no place to go from here at the newspaper. So, uh, you know, he says, well, I, I don't know if you'd ever want to, you know, live in California, but the bank I work for, they have a they have a management training program that they can, you know, it's a few months long and you can uh, you roll out of it into your own branch as a manager of operations. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, well. <laughs> what am I gonna have to lose? So he said, yeah, well, send me a resume. I'll give it to the human resources people. And I did, he did. They called, I flew out to California on my own expense uh, from Indiana and interviewed. And I interviewed well, because that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> so they, so I had them believing that yes, I could be the uh, most kick-ass banker you have ever hired, you know, <laughs> and uh, lies, all lies. we come to find out it was all lies. But I, I had myself really believing it. Like, yes, I could be a, you know, mind you, uh my summers in college uh, my uh, uh my summer job between my freshman senior sophomore junior years and senior years in college, I was a relief teller so i was I was a summer teller at a at the local bank in indianapolis and uh so I did have teller experience like four years of it um so that I, I could work that into my interviewing process and now i have a college degree and now i have some sales experience <laughs> i tied it all together and the the bank was like oh my goodness midwestern values and a work ethic oh we love this kid right <laughs> oh my god yeah so uh the bank sent uh, they they called up after i got back home to indiana you got the job our next training program starts in march so we had we had about a month to pack up our things and so march of 1985 we uh, we arrived in los angeles uh, california Wow. and uh, which was just a, a couple of months ago it was our 30th anniversary in LA so it was uh, so 30 yeah. years in Los Angeles it's been very good to me over these t- these 30 years yeah because uh, it was only a year or so until you booked your first uh, kind of professional acting gig right so uh so this training program was a 9 month program where at the end of which I was going to be an operations officer I would hold a wad of keys and supervise tellers and and be responsible for all that cash in the vault but uh, so oh gosh 9 months of this and and I Found like myself a nine month training track for that. Yeah. Wow. It was Crazy long. Well, but, and again, if you're going to be handling other people's money, I'm glad they had a training program that was, that was that long. Sure. That's so sure. fine. Uh, but, um, but wow. Uh, during that time I would be at the Beverly Hills branch or a branch in Hollywood or, and, and, uh, and I would see people come in that like, Oh, I recognize him from movies and television. Or, you know, uh, uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor's sister, Ava Gabor, who was on Green Acres, another sitcom from uh-huh. my childhood. She came in to, you know, to put her diamonds back in her safe deposit box after a weekend of partying. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's famous people here. <laughs> and so I just, you know, when you, and when you're hungry for that, you just like, you just, oh, that's all I could smell now. All I could smell was show business all around me. and I wanted it. So I started losing interest in the bank really fast. And, uh, and, uh, uh, here's the thing. My, my supervisors in the training program, they kind of caught wind of this. Uh, they saw my, my performance dropping drastically and I wasn't learning mm-hmm. the things I was supposed to learn and banks, banks are full of, of little Pieces of paper, Trev, and you have to know where all those little pieces of paper go, and and the, how would they get married up with other pieces of paper, and they have to be filed somewhere, and they have to be database entered somewhere, and computers aren't what they are today, but uh, but oh my gosh, you had to learn, I had to know computers, oh, and we would get these printout reports that would be like loss prevention things, and you had to keep track of, oh, there was too much to, uh, multitasking I don't do that That's, well, it The
1: whole thing sounds so icky to me. I mean, like, like right. I said, right. thank God there are people that can go that for that. But, yes, yes. But man, I just... Right. Did, did like an artist, a creative person hearing about that, that right. sounds just like hell. You're right. Yeah. There's that right
0: brain, left brain thing, and whatever yeah. side it was, I wasn't using it. So, uh, oh. so they fired my skinny ass.
2: Hey folks, welcome back to the bookends of 193. Trevor, I'm so excited and also so jealous because I remember way back in the day, ActorFest 2000 and uh, when I first (laughs) met Doug Jones and invited him on the podcast and then hounded him like a Twitter dog for months and months and months. Uh, and we finally, finally, finally made it happen. Shout out to Jen also for her uh, involvement in getting him on the show. But yeah. so excited to have him. And and actually, as of this recording, I've not actually heard the interview, but I'm so excited to hear it because I, I really like I like Doug and I, I, I like his his body of work and, um, and it's a little bit of a um, little bit of a Woody Schultz catch up uh, in the in the whole. Uh, you know, mocap stuff. But Mm -hmm. anyway, um, just, just really cool that we finally got him on the show.
1: I actually haven't edited this interview yet, but I think it's going to be a three parter. But so I'll just say in part three, uh, he talks about reinventing himself and how sort of he's now transitioning away from a lot of the physical work he's done into sort of more character, um, like actual live acting work. Um, so really, really kind of cool journey that he's had and continues to have And, and I want to say, AJ, that he completely remembered uh, your, your kind of encounter at ActorFest He brought it up when he first came over And, and uh, the only reason we haven't got him on sooner is because he's extremely busy The guy is working yeah. non-stop And he yeah. is so happy to be here And he drove all the way from Santa, Santa Clarita to Culver City Just to do this interview Wow uh, In the middle of shooting who knows how many things So, lovely guy uh, all right, so your pick of the week—it's sort of a dual pick, but not really, because they're kind of the same thing. But uh... yeah, it's
2: the same—it's the same idea, just on two different uh, apps and, and two different platforms. So I, I've been playing around with, and, and also just supporting Jasmine and playing around with these these live broadcast apps for iPhone and, and Android. Um, the two most popular right now are Periscope and Meerkat. And I wanted to bring them up because I mean, not only my pick of the week because what they do is just incredible. It's like such a it's a it's a mind blowing thing even for somebody who grew up in the age of this type of technology. It's like what you can do. What I, I wanted to bring it up as not only my pick of the week but also just to talk about is this sort of going to be a paradigm shift because all of the applications of these services are, are like there's there's stuff that. I haven't even thought of or people haven't even thought of that that could be done with this. you could you could literally host a live broadcast television show and have you know just a, a really solid cameraman with an iPhone, I would suggest like an iPhone six or something um, because it's got a great camera and a good processor in some kind of you know handheld steady cam ish device and do like a live broadcast, you could almost it's almost like doing a play, but you could move the camera around and, and do like a, a show and, and if you were consistent enough and you did it at the same time every week, that's a TV show. I mean, what's the difference between that and you know something you watch on, on NBC? It, it's incredible. And, and, and the thing that Jasmine used it for was super inspiring. She basically held a global dance party where she had a DJ that she sourced in Los Angeles, in Venice specifically, and then she had satellite parties, one in Runyon Canyon in Los Angeles and one in Central Park in New York. And the fact of the matter is, because of this technology, there could have been satellite parties anywhere where basically people could have thrown their headphones in and danced along to this DJ in Venice, California. Yeah. So... And, and, and it was all to raise awareness for um, uh, a fundraiser that she was doing for Nepal, the mm-hmm. people of, of Nepal, you know, dealing with the aftermath of the earthquakes. So just, I mean, that's two different applications that, uh, you know, she, she actually did one of them and the other one was just sort of speculation. But people are using these like, like crazy already and they're very new And I just, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on this, or if you thought it was a paradigm shift, or it was just a fad, or if you thought, could think of any other applications for them, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Jeez. Yeah, well, I I downloaded Periscope, uh, and I I haven't broadcast anything yet, but I I follow a lot of people who broadcast constantly. I follow Bonnie Gillespie, and she's not only broadcasting a lot, but she's also recommending broadcasts to me. (laughs) So she's actually also kind of being a, a, being a value in terms from a sort of cure, curator, curatorial. Am I using that word correctly?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I spoke to uh, this actress named Tanya Perez, who is friends with Ryan and Basham, has been a guest on the show, and she also knows Bonnie's work and, and stuff. She was at uh, Jasmine's fundraiser here in Central Park, and she said that part of what Bonnie's doing is not only using it like crazy, but also... Teaching people how to use it, recommending you know, like you said, broadcasts, but also yeah. you know, uh, tips and tricks on how to maximize it. She yeah. had, she, I think, yeah. she went out and bought like an iPad Mini that's just for broadcasting.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, what I really like, like Bonnie, Bonnie used the word, or maybe she coined the word, "brand prov, which I really like, meaning that the, these apps and these this technology gives actors and creatives and anybody, really, the opportunity to sort of continually brand themselves um, by sort of playing with uh, what is of value to people and bringing their personality and, you know, everything that makes them uniquely them to the world on a consistent basis. And uh, personally, I mean, it's so new, so it's always impossible to tell, but it seems like this is a technology that's going to be here to stay. And I, it's only a matter of weeks or at the most months before... Somebody figures out how to, like, blow this thing up and make it not only, like, a mainstream thing that everybody uses and tunes into, but also something that is extremely financially rewarding uh, if used in the right way. Like, some kid is going to figure it out. Because on one level, it's really not that that different than Ustream, which has been around for years. Yeah. But somehow it is very different from Ustream. Like, Ustream is more of the way this is, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah it's just more mobile. <clears throat> Ustream yeah. was uh, browser dependent, computer dependent. This is this is happening on mobile devices. Yeah. And and I also you know on that on that tip of of speaking about monetizing it and stuff, one of the things i find fascinating is is if you look at Meerkat, which is on both iPhone and Android, the top the people with the most number of followers are mostly celebrities. Um, I think Madonna is up there. There's a couple of other, you know, celebrities that are up there. If you look at the top people in Periscope, there I've never heard of them.
1: Yeah, they're all like YouTube. They're not
2: celebrities. They're they're I don't know who they are. I don't, what, people, I don't know what I don't know what. Yeah, YouTube people maybe, or they're they're offering some kind of other value, and I think that's fascinating because we keep one of the things we keep talking about on the podcast is like disrupting the status quo. You know, you were talking about the self-publishing thing a few episodes ago with books, mm-hmm. yeah. and I mentioned, you know, that it's happened in mu- music and we're also seeing it happen in film and television and now with this. Like what is what is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh a meerkat and a periscope my picks of the week uh, more on the because I think it's just fascinating then on, than 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 actually, you know, they being picks of the week and m- m- more about the discussion. I wanted to have the yeah. discussion.
1: Well, I, more I, than anything. I also liked this before we wrap up on that. I liked, I, I liked that there's sort of a scarcity thing built in that it's like, it's broadcasting now. And I believe at least with uh Periscope that like, after it's done broadcasting, like that's it. Like it, it doesn't get saved anywhere. I think it saves to your phone maybe, but Um,
2: there's a way, there is a way of saving and uploading with, I know with, I think with Periscope, and I don't know if it's the same with Meerkat, but, but Bonnie, this is something that Bonnie talks about, you know? Uh, so it is, it is sort of like, you can have it be like Snapchat where it just goes away Mm -hmm. after you're done, or you can, uh, you know, save it for posterity.
1: Yeah. Really, really cool, man. Just great tools available to people today to just add value to the world and make a name for themselves
2: interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, what's your cool. pick of the week? So I'll be really quick here because uh, we're running out of time. My pick of the week is a website called swimswam.com. It's essentially a news website for swimming. Um, longtime listeners know, I haven't talked about this recently, but you know, I've always been a big fan of swimming. I grew up swimming competitively. When I can, I still get out here and, and swim with a team uh, called Southern California Aquatics. It's been a long time since I broke my wrist. Really, I haven't been in the water that much. But uh, still a big swim fan. And what I like about these, this site, and especially some of the videos that are produced, there's a guy named um, Mel Stewart, who's a, an Olympic swimmer from days of yore. And he's now kind of become a sort of internet sort of swim celebrity guy because he produces these really great little sn- news snippets called Gold Medal Minutes and uh they're usually five or six minutes but they're so well done they're so flashy and, and well produced and they they really make the sport of swimming cool which just brings so much joy to my chlorinated heart because you know <laughs> swimming has always seen i think as sort of a fringe sport and i think it's one of the greatest sports in the world i mean you know all sports are pretty great but i really love swimming and i, I just love that they it's being portrayed in a, a sort of cool light and i would love to see more people um you know, hop on board. So if you have any interest in swimming whatsoever, collegiate swimming, professional swimming, Olympic, whatever, like, check out SwimSwam.com and specifically look for the gold medal minute videos, which come out about every week or so. They're just really cool. Really cool. Awesome. Yeah. And then we, we have, also uh, Oh, go for yeah. it. Take it. Take it we away. We also
2: got a, a listener pick from a longtime listener, friend of the podcast member, Matt Bailey. He sends in The Essentialist by Greg McGowan, which he's been listening to on Audible, by the way. It is a book, but he's been listening to it on Audible, which is also awesome. Could be a pick of the week on its own. Uh, Quick description. The way of The Essentialist isn't about getting more done in less time. It's about getting only the right things done. It is not a time management strategy or a productivity technique. It is a systematic discipline for discerning what is absolutely essential. Than eliminating everything that is not, so we can make the highest possible contribution towards the things that really matter. That sounds like something anyone could use, yeah. <laughs> especially actors and artists.
1: And it sounds like this is a <clears throat> sort of sequel, or maybe it's a prequel to these to essentialism by the same guy Greg, Greg McCall Cowan McKeown. I don't know how to say his last name. That guy, <laughs> uh, which was about the same thing. And I think um, Deborah was one of the first people that turned me on to the book, Deborah Smith, she said uh, that she'd read that it. it was consistently in like the top three or five books that almost every entrepreneur or successful business person recommended. So it sounds like this is a, a must read. The, nice. the Essentialist and Essentialism. I'm gonna, essentialism.
2: I'm yeah. going to
1: get them both. All right. So to recap, that is SwimSwam.com for all your cool, flashy swimming news, Periscope, and Meerkat when you just want to show the world your life. And the essentialist for when you want to figure out what the most important stuff is to get done and do it. So, thanks for the recommendation, Matt, and hope you guys dig the others. Uh, member win of the week. Wow. Wow. Comes from Daryl Miller, a uh, fairly long time, for like a year now or so. Daryl's been listening to the podcast. He's been a member for a long time. And, you know, this is really cool to me. He self taped him, himself. How about that? He put himself on tape for a web series with no reader, no basically no additional support. He set his eye line, and he actually read his other lines, like his off-camera lines, or had somebody else, I guess, dub them in afterwards. So he actually no he
2: he did it afterwards, and he changed the pitch.
1: Yeah, because one of them sounds yeah one of them sounds like a demon, which is clearly the voice alter, but the other one sounds like a woman. But it was actually him, just with a pitch change in his voice. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Dude, he didn't have rocking. any help.
2: He did it all himself in like his office basement or something
1: like that. It was crazy, and dude. it looks great. Um, and he booked the role. So if you are a member, and we highly recommend that you uh, that you join up and and uh, and support the cause and gain access to the membership group, Daryl posted his uh, his audition there, his his self taped you know, submission. Um, as well as a sort of in- explanation of, of what and how he did it. Um, it's really, really cool. So uh, let's see here. He shot one episode of a web series, just booked his second web series pilot. They liked his taping so well, they gave him a larger role that will extend into at least the second episode. Um, <laughs> I just think it's so cool, man. Produced the entire thing with no reader. Badass. Congrats, Daryl. Yeah,
2: yeah, so cool. Yeah. So cool. Alrighty. Well, today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co hosted by yours truly, A. J. Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator, Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations, and Deborah Smith is our community manager. Trevor Algat composed some, most, all of our theme music. There's one there's one little clip that you're still using from Garage band, right?
1: Uh even one or two, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Trevor Algat composed most of our theme music. <laughs>
1: you, you can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes over at our website, insideacting.net. You can also find us and leave a review for us on iTunes. Reviews help yes, a lot. Please. So please do it.
2: Huge thanks to our sponsors, rehearsal and Viotagogo.com, and thanks to you, our loyal listeners. How about that for an alliteration? If you love Inside Acting and want to help keep the show going, (laughs) sign up as a monthly member. Get cool perks like access to our exclusive membership masterminds group. Another alliteration. Freebies like access to my digital actor workshop, which is partially uploaded on the membership form right now. And discounts on merchandise like IAP t-shirts and other upcoming podcast offerings and much, much more. Just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab.
1: All right, and that's it for episode 193 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be transparent.
2: Loving it, loving it, loving it.